welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Cool, cool. I just wanted to have something to line it up with. So, All right. Uh, so any other questions before we get started? <laughs> Not even. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Three, two, one. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay, and I'm excited to welcome to the show Kelly Beards Brink, host of the True Crime IRL podcast. Kelly, thanks for joining me in this episode of Filmstrip. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Absolutely. And we are here to review No Country for Old Men, starring Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Kelly McDonald, Garrett Dillahunt, Woody Harrelson, and Barry Corbin. Based on the novel by Cormac McCarthy, written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, released in 2007 on a $25 million budget, grossed over $171 million at the box office, nominated for eight Academy Awards, and took home four Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Bardem, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. So, Kelly, this was your suggestion. So, what's your background with No Country for Old Men? Oh, man. that I have big shoes to fill <laughs> taking on this episode now. I'm kind of regretting it. But uh, really what drew me to it is, I mean, I have a true crime podcast, so I talk a lot about psychopaths. Pretty much every episode has a psychopath in it, and there's no movie with a bigger psychopath than Anton Sugar in this, in this movie. And that's kind of what prompted me to kind of go with this movie. It's just... Well, it's a great movie, too. But yeah, yeah, kind of that character, that antagonist, you know, is kind of what brought me to it. So, yeah, I remember seeing the trailers when this was coming out and just the way he looks with that flop haircut and. Oh, I know that hair. I mean, all of them and that smile and just, oh, he's just so he's so creepy. So he's like a monster in human form. Yeah, yeah. And you, all in black. And I remember the one trailer is, is Woody Harrelson talking about, like, you know, is he bad compared to the bubonic plague and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And you, you just see this. And He's you know worse. things from, from Coen Brothers is, is like, okay, I'm going to get a movie that is chock full of character actors that are going to chew up scenery. It's going to be a lot of dialogue. And there's also going to be some incredible violence. And I wasn't as familiar with the source material until after I saw this. And I sought the book out sometime later because I thought, I just want to know, like, you know, how how close is this to things? I'm always curious about that. And it's pretty darn close. Like, th- mm-hmm. this ends right into the line. There's really only one major change that I can think of. And the one thing that stuck out to me in the movie was just how violent it was in beneath all these quiet parts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the book. <laughs> is the same way. I mean, it's an incredibly violent book. I I didn't read the book. You read the book. You actually read it. And but everything I've heard about it is that it's basically like the book and the movie are identical. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's more just, you know, combining some things together and shortening stuff down. It's actually a pretty yeah. fast book. It's only about 300 pages or so. I mean, I thought yeah, it should a day. I know? should read that. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> definitely, definitely worth doing. But yeah, I, I was intrigued by this. I remember when it came out. Uh, I didn't see it in theaters. I ended up renting it and watching it and thinking, okay, this is really good. And I've seen it a couple of times, but I hadn't seen it in 
gosh, it's probably been 10 years since I've even yeah. thought about it. And so, you know, I see the, the thing I think I see most of it is the Tommy Lee Jones old man meme of sort of looking over the newspaper where he's just sort of like, really, you know, at the, at the deputy. And I've seen that run around the internet enough. And I thought I need to go back and rewatch this movie. So you gave me a good yeah. excuse to go back and watch No Country. For yeah. Me um, too. Yeah. I did the same thing. I rewatched it because when I first saw it, I think I had only seen it one time probably. Um, and that was a long time ago. I don't. What year did that movie come out again? Two thousand seven. So it's you know, okay. It's thirteen, been a fourteen long years. Now, time. Yeah. yeah, and I saw it at home like thirteen years ago, and I'm kind of a different person than I was then. And I've <laughs> been involved in a lot more true crime stuff, and a yeah. little more. You know, I don't know. I've grown up a little bit since I saw it last, and I thought of it totally differently this time and it was yeah so good yeah yeah it definitely lands differently the older you get i, definitely. I can say that you know being yeah. 13 years older now from when i first saw it and just thinking about life and you know older parents and, and things like that and uh it, i don't know just some of it, it it always hits a little different and that's the cool thing about coen brothers movies is whether they're doing one of their big comedies like lebowski which we did you know a while back on film strip here yeah. or doing something like fargo which is another one of their crime things or whatever um, mm-hmm. or even something like raising arizona which is sort of half true crime and half zany comedy you know yeah that it lands differently depending on when you see it and how old you are and sort of your station in life and that's what makes them such interesting filmmakers yeah yeah they're they're amazing they're like the best but yeah yep (laughs) yeah they're definitely among the best that america has has brought out that is for Mm -hmm. certain and uh, they've done some great work but i think we should get into it here kelly so i'm gonna do a quick plot summary and then we'll talk about no country for old men okay sounds good so while hunting in the desert, Llewellyn Moss, played by Josh Brolin, finds the carnage of a drug deal gone awry. And there's one man barely alive in a suitcase with $2 million. So Moss takes the money and returns later with water for the injured man, feeling guilty for leaving him there in the first place. This, of course, tips off the other thugs, though, and Moss goes on the run. And he sends his wife, Carla Jean, to her mother's in Odessa, Texas. He ends up at a motel down in Del Rio, where Radney Foster is from, and he hides the money there. But little does he know that the Mexican cartel members are on his trail, as well as a methodical bounty hunter known as Anton Chigurh, uh, who's already killed law enforcement and a bystander while tracking the money. Chigurh takes out the Mexicans and just misses the money before Moss retrieves it, realizing that there's a tracking module in it. And they engage in a gunfight, which spills out into the street, where both are injured and they retreat to care for their wounds. Meanwhile, Sheriff Ed Tom Bell, played by Tommy Lee Jones, is on the trail and continually horrified by the carnage he uncovers. Another operative enters to offer Moss protection, but Shigur takes him out and threatens to kill Moss's wife if he doesn't return the money. And, of course, that sets Moss off as well because he's now going to go after the guy. Bell eventually approaches Carla Jean and offers to protect Moss if she'll reveal his location, but she doesn't. But her mother inadvertently reveals Moss's location to another group of Mexicans trailing them, uh, where they track down Moss and kill him, though we don't see that on screen. Bell arrives on the scene just in time to see that happen and is compelled to retire, feeling overmatched against all of this violence. Weeks later, Carla Jean returns for her mother's funeral, and Shakur is waiting for her. He gives her the same coin flip chance he gave a gas station attendant earlier, but she refuses, and he presumably kills her. While driving away, his car is T-boned in an intersection, but he bribes two children who were bystanders for their silence and slips away. Bell does indeed retire and reveals to his wife a dream foreshadowing his acceptance that he's content to be in his last years as credits roll. And that's, that's really kind of the simple story. That's the neat thing yeah. about this is it's not overly complicated and that's what i think makes it so accessible 
Mm-hmm. It's not complicated just when you're watching it with your eyes, but it's complicated as far as symbolism. Oh, my word. So much symbolism. Right? Yeah, there's, yeah, there is heavy in this movie. But in, in the fact that it is heavy, it's not overbearing. Like, I don't feel like this right. movie beats you over the head with that stuff. No, no, it doesn't. Um, but yeah, so yeah, what do you want to get into first? <laughs> I, th- I think the way to start with this one, because it is such a simple story, is let's just yeah. kind of roll through some of the characters and sort of how they, they work. And we got to start with Sugar, and it blows me away that Javier Bardem was given Best Supporting Actor nod for this, because he's the lead character in the damn film. <sighs> like, well, I, I, kn- I know that there's lots of different ways those things get positioned and stuff by the Academy, mm-hmm. but he has such an overwhelming presence here. And mm-hmm. I, I like to do this thing when I'm watching this, especially for a movie where someone has won an award. Could anyone else have played this and done the same or done as good a job? And there's no one else I can think of. And I didn't know him from anything until this movie. And of course, now he's done James Bond and all kinds of other Mm -hmm. stuff. And he's, you know, a more mainstream American star, but he was a big deal in Mexico and in Latin America before he ever did this. So the Coens were huge fans of his. And Mm -hmm. gosh, he's such a presence. He is such a presence. So, but in one way, I'm like, how hard was his job going to work every day, really? Like, I mean, um, he didn't do a lot of talking and stuff. But no, I nobody else could have played the role. I totally agree with you on that. But um, he didn't have a lot of lines to memorize. Like, that's uh, how, but, yeah. but every actor will tell you, like, the most fun thing to do is to play the bad guy. Quote, oh, quote. yeah. I, that would be great. But yeah. especially when the bad guy doesn't have to tell you he's bad he gets to show you how bad he is. right oh and he shows us from yeah. that opening scene yeah, yeah poor josh lucas a very young josh lucas we might add gets it, his it, throat ripped out by a pair of handcuffs right that is, well yeah whew. yeah so that was intense that scene was amazing because you just kind of see him he just he's sitting there in that chair in the background and he just rises up slowly it kind of reminds me of like Jason or Freddy Krueger or some like character like that. It's very yes, Michael Myers. Yes, he just stalks his way over, and um, you just see him in the background, like moving his his hands around his legs, and yeah, and then. I knew that was coming, though. Didn't you just know mm-hmm. that was coming? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, well, yeah. The first guy's got to go down, right? And Yeah. And what's so weird is you see all of it. And that's the thing about movies like this is oftentimes you'll see the beginning of the violence, but you don't see it work out. And what I'll give the Coens credit for, and it's, it's like this in the book, too, is if you try to choke somebody to death, that is not a fat. Now, I've never done it personally, but just from all accounts, that is not an easy thing to do. No. And it no, takes it's a not. long time. And I appreciate appreciate the fact that they let that go on and they, on yeah, and on. Totally. Yeah. Every So I've never choked anyone either, but in the true crime stories I cover, a lot of people have done that. And it does take a long time and it takes a lot of strength. And they really, in that scene, just showed it all. In fact, you know, at the end of that um, that struggle, Shigur's... Uh, wrists are bloody yeah. from the handcuffs and he it's like it's an intense thing it's not just i'm just gonna hold him for a little bit and he's gonna die no it was like a huge struggle and then they show the the black marks from their boots struggling on the ground and it's yeah 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 it's very it's very intense and that's the thing yeah. about him as a character that I can only compare it to like, uh, you know, not that sharks are evil creatures or whatever, but they just sort of 
go on a mission and that's what they do. Or, yes. you know, he's, he's just out there to do his job. And what we'll find out through the outworking of this plot is that he and all of these Mexican gangs that roll in and out have all been hired by the same banker person mm-hmm. to retrieve this money. Uh, played by Stephen mm-hmm. Root and a great cameo. I love him in anything. Yeah. He's, he's a Coen brothers muse. So they'll throw him mm-hmm. in anything, <laughs> but if you can't get him, they get John Goodman. Like the, they're almost, Oh yeah, 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 for, yeah. For the stuff they do. But yes. Yeah. They're all hired by the same one in which, Shigeru ultimately kills him later. He says, "Like you, you just pick the right tool. You don't hire all all the other ones. You don't need all these other people." And what you realize is that he's kind of right. Like he is Mm -hmm. so ruthless when he's on the trail. When he he meets up with two other you know old boys in in the suits in the pickup truck to go Mm -hmm. look at the the carnage. Uh, he checks one of the guns to make sure it's loaded and then shoots them both because he's gotten what he needed out of them. And I'm like, yeah. this guy is just a wake of death walking he, through. And I, I think that's yes. the metaphor is that he's like the Grim Reaper, literally. You're taking my you're taking my notes. I, I wrote this down even because I was like, Sugar is death personified. That's what he is like. Um that character there's so much symbolism right there like he is death he's an un- unstoppable force and nothing's gonna get in his way just like the grim reaper it's like yeah when it's their time it's their time and he is going he's an efficient killing machine that's yeah. Yeah. with no soul no thoughts in his head really other than get what um get what i need and take whatever means necessary to do it. Yeah, I mean, he's still in cars, he's killing people. And we should talk about like one of his primary ways to kill people is that cattle stun gun. That is one of the most terrifying weapons I have ever seen. It reminds me of like a science fiction thing, mm-hmm. like um from like an alien movie or something, but like like a oh, it's so, you know what it, it dehu it's very dehumanizing because mm-hmm. it's a cattle gun. Like um yeah. It's not. Well, yeah. The, the thing it, about it is, it doesn't inflict a tremendous amount of pain, it, and that's yeah. what you realize about him is he's not sadistic. When he kills you, he just kills you. He doesn't torture efficiently. you efficiently. He's yeah, all mean, about efficiency. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he has to struggle with the Josh Lucas cop so much is just a mm-hmm. means of I didn't have anything else. So this yeah, will have he to was do. literally that was his only weapon available at the time. So that's why it went that way. But yeah, he, typically he wants to be efficient, quick. Painless, you know, and, and not a, not messy. Like they're in every scene after a brutal killing, you know, where the blood is kind of pooling around his feet and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, that one scene where he's on the phone after he k- kills um, Woody uh, Harrelson. Yeah. Woody Harrelson. Yeah. And then he the blood is coming near his feet. He just nonchalantly puts his feet up on the bed and um then when he killed the people in the hotel room like his socks got all bloody he just throw it like yeah yeah yeah, he's checking his feet all the time when he walks out all the time house which is why i always say like how you know he killed her is that he looks at his boots you know that's what i was just gonna say too like that's really the only Mm -hmm. indicator we have that he actually killed her is because he did what he always did and looked for blood on his boots i was hoping he didn't kill her but yeah. He always, yeah. He, I mean, he, he's he never, there to he do that, though. I mean, he's, yeah. he he said, I I told your husband I was going to come kill you, so I'm going to do that, you know? I mean, yeah. That, that's the thing is he's just a one-track yeah. machine. It's, and it's like his own set of rules and morals that he goes by. He's like, mm-hmm. I said I was going to do this. I stand by my word. I'm going to kill you. Yeah, and I, I love yeah. the fact that you talk about, like, he's this unstoppable killing machine, much like a Michael Myers or Jason or whoever, mm-hmm. but 
He takes a tremendous amount of damage in this movie. Like he gets oh my shot gosh. two or three times. He does. He gets his yeah. arm busted up in that wreck. His wrists his are messed up. His bone legs. is popping out. Yeah. Like he, so much, but nothing stops him. Nothing. It's like he, it's like he's incapable of feeling pain too. Like yeah. he just, he's just his mind is set on this course of, you know, get this job done, kill whoever gets in my way, and nothing's going to affect me. Like I. Yeah. I, mean, I it, really want to know about how he was raised. That's what I want to know as yeah, like a so true crime things. podcaster. Yeah, right. There's I, so I want to know who yeah. Anton. Who hurt you? Who hurt you? What you know, was your dad like? What was your mom like? I just want to know. Right. Like, there's all yeah. these questions. And the thing is, and what I realize is, as someone who listens to a lot of true crime, reads a lot of that, just you know, yeah, I'm into that for the same reasons. Is if you ever got him and you ever captured him, he would never tell you. And if no. he did, you couldn't believe it anyway, because he probably doesn't even know. Oh, like, he's just sort of know. erased it. I, like, I don't know. I think I would believe him, actually. I think mm-hmm. what reason does he have to lie to anyone? Good like, point. everything he does is with purpose. And it's like this just, I mean, it's honest, I guess. So I don't know. I think he would maybe tell you, but I don't know. Definitely no feelings or emotion there. He, that's why he's just the most terrifying psychopath killer of any movie, really, I've ever seen. Even like yeah. Freddy Krueger has a sense of humor. Come yeah. on. I mean, he was built yeah. to have one, right? Like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's why I say Shakur yeah. is, is much more like in the John Carpenter way of how oh, yeah. evil operates and stuff like that. Yeah. And Deborah Hill would give her credit for that too. But yeah, yeah. it's, it's very just, um, soulless. You know, like soulless. Say, yeah, yeah, it's just it's an automatic. He's a machine. It's kind of Terminator too. A yeah, bit absolutely. Of that. Yeah, Very I, I got a lot of that vibe off of this. And we should say this yeah. is set in like 1980. Uh, and so, and I, it took me okay. a minute to remember that when I was watching. I was like, "Where's all the friggin' cell phones?" Or like, "Where's the flip phone oh, at least?" Yeah, right? And yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait okay. A minute. When is? And I had to go back and look. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is 1980." Well, yeah. That and, makes sense with all the cars and stuff. Yeah, They're all yeah, old and yeah. Yeah, it totally <laughs> makes sense. And where they are too. I don't know if you've ever spent any time in the Permian Basin of West Texas, but that, and they shot this movie a lot in California, but that's how it looks. Like I've been to Odessa, the Midland, all that area, and it is, it's just miles of nothing for, forever. Desolate. And then you have these yeah. little towns that pop up and, mm-hmm. you know, usually former oil towns or farm towns. Yeah. Like yeah. That. And, but it's a great setting because, it's you know it's it's definitely in a place it's near the border you know because that, that's going to play a big plot point later but the way he operates in such an open wide open space it's neat because it's like you you should be able to see him coming from a hundred miles away yeah but, and, you know Barry Corbin's character has that line later with with Bell when he's talking to me about you can't stop what's coming you can't change the end and mm-hmm. death is coming for mm-hmm. all of us whether we know it mm-hmm. accept it or realize it at all yeah. Such a big theme in the movie, the death is coming, you know. Um, yeah, unstoppable. And um, that brings me to the coins, you know, mm-hmm. the coin toss. And like at one point in the movie, he's like, this coin has traveled from 1958 until now to get into your hand and tossed and you get to like decide life or death kind of thing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like. Yeah, and and so 
death was coming for him based on this this coin traveling through time. And um, that's kind of symbolic there, too. I don't know. Oh, I love that. I, I love that whole back and forth with the gas station. I think everybody knows the flipping and call it friendo, you know, line. But oh, the, yeah. the whole bit of dialogue there is great because the guy's arguing with him like, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I know. Yeah. yeah. That guy was kind of kind of. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, like, you, I'm like, you, that is not realize, what I would have said. <laughs> yeah, but you realize he doesn't know who he's talking to. He doesn't, but... A- and Shigar also just, realizes yeah. this guy doesn't realize what he's talking to, so I'm just going to walk him through it. I'm going to help him through this thing. And when he when he wins, he's like, okay, heads, yeah. like, mm, it's your lucky day. And when he's going to put the quarter away, he says, don't put that in your pocket. That's your lucky quarter. Yeah. But yeah, he circles yeah. back on that logic and says, like... But it's also just another quarter. Have a good day. Yeah. And he just walks away and it's like, Yeah. What, yeah. He's like, What would you tell you your wife when you went s- home at night? Like, yeah. honey, you'll never believe who walked in the store today. I mean, <laughs> I don't even think he had a clue. He was oblivious, but um, yeah. Yeah. Such a strange moment. But that's Sugar's whole thing. And it's what's neat to watch him to, yeah. to work. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting how he talked about that coin traveling through time to make its way. To where it was right now and i also felt like that's kind of symbolic of shigur's character as well like mm-hmm. traveling through time to make his way and I, i'll talk about that later too um the whole fate thing yeah um, absolutely because yeah. it's a big theme here next yeah. we got we got to talk about Llewellyn moss to josh brolin here who's such a fun entry point for the audience <laughs> because yeah. You just get the sense that he's he's just a good old boy and just kind of going through life and you know figuring it yeah. out as he goes and he's trying to hunt on his day off and you know he misses his shot but as he's going around he stumbles across the results of the Mexican standoff. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know, I just thought it was neat the way he just worked his way through the scene and checked totally. stuff. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, you can just tell by the way he is so cautious that Llewellyn has been through some shit. He's like, been a nom twice, he, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like he was so cautious. He knew, you know, that someone could be there still alive waiting for him. He was like he took cover. He was super like you can just tell he's super street smart and mm. and stuff and yeah. Yeah. I, I love Llewellyn's character. I think he's really at the heart of it, a good person. And that's kind of why, you know, when the man was behind the wheel dying, asking for agua, he didn't. And then it kind of was heavy on his conscience. And he filled up that gallon and came back the later that night, even though it ended up basically determining his path, like it screwed him over coming back to give the guy water because we know what happened after that. But yeah, that starts the chase of, yeah. of the movie. But I think yeah. that's the thing about him is that he is every man in yeah. this and the decisions he's made while they're not morally superior necessarily, they're also not so different than what most of us would do. If you walk right. up and found a satchel with $2 million in it, yes. I mean, I'd look around and go like, Hmm. I know. I know. But what a decision. I mean, it ended up that bag of money determined his fate and all of those around him. It was just, I mean, yeah, you can't blame him for trying. No, no, you can't. But the movie tells us he's an honest person, though. When he comes back home and Carla Jean's watching TV and she's like, what you got in the bag? And he's like, 
bag full of money. And she's like, that'll be the day. It's like, you <laughs> lie to her. And she's just like, yeah, you know, oh. and he just says what yeah. he says. And yes. I don't know. I, I just, I love his whole thing. I think he, he reminds me so much of a lot of men I grew up around um, mm-hmm. who were older than me, but had been in those kind of situations where just working men and they just yeah. have a way about them. They, there's, Ex- they, yeah. there's something you, that it's hard to, you know, put a, a, a total pinpoint on it because they're not simple, but they come off like they are, but they're very complex and yeah. how smart he is. And then he figures yes. out his way around it and all of his yeah, hiding like places I, and stuff. It's, yeah. it's great. Like, like I said, he's a street smart guy. Like he's been through some stuff. Like he's, mm-hmm. he knows how to pull it off. And I have to just say, okay, from the desert, you know, he drove home to the desert air trailer park. I mean, it's Josh Brolin. <laughs> if we, sign me up for his neighbor. I will move to the Desert Air trailer park if my neighbors are going to be like that. I mean, that's, he's pretty hot, even as a like redneck Texas cowboy. I just have to say. I hope he also did. He get an award for no, this? No, he wasn't no? for anything. No. Oh my gosh, no. he did an amazing job. He was. I, think, I thought. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think nowadays, you know, people know him from all of his like Marvel stuff and everything. That he's yeah, done, yeah. Know, which is, I mean, good for him that he's getting to do all of that. But never forget, he's also a really interesting actor who can do yeah. a lot of different things outside of his personal life problems and things. He's a I mean, he's a fun actor, and he really sells you in this role because. Much like Tommy Lee Jones, who we'll talk about in a second, he's able to just sort of disappear in the role that he's playing. And totally. not, not unlike anybody else in this movie, too. I mean, Javier Bardem's the same way. Yeah. Is they just become the thing they are, and you forget that that's Josh Brolin, that's Tommy Lee Jones I'm looking at. That's, that's just Llewellyn Moss. Yeah. That's what he looks I, like. I totally forgot until I remembered that it was... um brand from the Goonies. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Right? Of all things. <laughs> Remember that outfit, the cutoff sweatshirt and mm-hmm. the sh- shorts over the sweatpants? Yeah. That's Llewellyn Moss. There you go. He's come a long way, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he got to be yeah. Thanos. So, I mean, gosh, he, oh, he upgraded his I know. Life. Right. So, no, yeah. But he's so neat to watch him move out. And what, what yeah. I love is, again, he, he goes to that roadside motel in Del Rio and he, he figures out how to hide the money and he's going to get the room behind it because he knows that the air conditioner will connect to it and, yes. and all that. He's, yeah. he's plotting this through. And when he finally figures out, like, how are these people finding me? How are they getting to me? He works it out in his own head as we're learning there's a tracking device attached mm-hmm. into, into the money. He finds yes. it. And that's when he realizes, like, well, I've gone to another hotel and they found me. And that's one of the best scenes in the last 10 years in movies oh. it, where he is yes. at the door He's waiting to see footprints and you see Javier Bardem walk in front of it and walk away, unscrew the light bulb and come back. And he's like, he's got to wait for it. He's waiting for that cattle prod to knock the lock out so he can shoot at him. And that sets off their, their shootout. But it's the three minutes of absolute silence and the quiet intensity that, I mean, Coen brothers are sort of into that thing, but a lot of times they, they have good music to accent it. This movie is, is as silent as the desert and it's absolutely amazing. And that scene, it was like the most scary. It was it was the scariest three minutes of my life. Like, oh, just that tension and anticipation. You know he's coming, and you see the 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 shadow of his boots under the door. It's so it's so scary. Yeah. yeah. Um. But but you know what? I was also kind of mad at Llewellyn because I'm like, I think if it were me, I would have taken the money out of that original suitcase and looked through it i i kept thinking that was so dumb why did you not like check it for for 
even just like an ink tag thingy or whatever those things are like I would I, I was like why did you not look for that beforehand? But that that's like the only I, I can only I have there. chalk it up to the fact that he had never seen even a stack of money that much that's in his life. True. And probably <laughs> yeah. thought, I'm not taking this out in front of anybody because what if I lose it? What if somebody sees true, it? True, true. You know, I got enough yeah. problems as it is. Yeah. And, I mean he I mean to his credit, when he's going out to take the water bed of the guy, he does get shot in the shoulder with oh mugshot. Yeah. And so he's at home yeah. having to pick that out, telling his wife, yeah. you need to go to Odessa to your mother's. And True. It'll, it'll be all right. So he's sort of making this up as he goes along. And that's what's so neat about this is Moss's own guilt and fears kind of drive him through this. But he never shows that he's afraid of any of it. Right. No, he's so calm, cool, collected. Like, I, most people would be panicking, but he, like, immediately um, develops a plan and knows exactly what to do. So maybe that's, like, his military background coming into play then. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's neat, too, (laughs) that the way they dress him and the way he's lit, he's always in light colors and stuff like that. It's such a a contrast to Shigur, who's in all black. Yeah. You know, and, Absolutely. and they, they're constantly putting him in direct sunlight and direct lights, mm-hmm. except for those dark, you know, moments. But even when he's out in the street, he's covered in blood because he gets in that guy's car and then, you know, yeah. Sugar shoots him and is all that. He, he takes an incredible amount of damage too. We should say if, if we're doing the Terminator parallel, he's definitely the Michael Bean of this movie. Like he gets oh my beat gosh. to hell and still so, keeps and- going. Takes a licking and keeps on ticking that guy. Really, yeah. Um, I oh like that when he's um crossing the bridge, the border mm-hmm. area. Oh my gosh, he's like basically bleeding out. So and yeah, I don't. I did not. You know, before I knew what was going to happen, I didn't really expect him to make it. Um, and then he wakes up to the the band playing yeah. <laughs> for him, and he's like. Medical, medical. Yeah, it gives him $100, a bloody $100. That is one thing that keeps happening. All the money, if you notice, like all the cash that changes hands is usually covered in blood. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a nice little bit of symbolism. Totally blood money. Yeah, Yeah, literally and figuratively. Yeah. I mean, I think what what we're to deduce from the standoff of anything was obviously there were buyers for that truckload of drugs, but the sellers were going to gun down the buyers once they got the money. Thus, there were tracker on it because why else would you do that right right they all shot each other and so that that's how we got to this point like it was a a banker making a drug deal essentially so it wasn't even there and yeah that and that's what you see working out and that's what's neat is that there's people involved in this that are Mm -hmm. so far removed from the people it's affecting and there's a lot to say about that too that Mm -hmm. you know governments and people make a lot of decisions that affect people they never know and they don't think about and don't care about yeah and the the war gets waged on the ground while the you know the decisions get made in the tower and that's a i don't know it's you know cormac mccarthy wasn't really saying anything about that when he wrote it he wrote as he put it he wanted to write a western horror story so he kind of did and this is a different book from a lot of his and the way that it it reels off and being a true crime podcaster you really should read it because it reads like a true crime book i will definitely yeah yeah i will but it's so it's so neat to watch that unfold and to see mm -hmm. that happen because you see the outworkings of the bigger decisions being made and then what the ripple effects are and and again you you know, the way that they, they've lit Llewellyn, the way he dresses and all that, it's very much a good versus evil, light versus dark going on totally. the whole time. But what's neat about him and his ending is he gets killed by people he doesn't even know are still on his trail. He thinks it's just yeah. this one guy. 
And yeah. that Mexican gang that gets, you know, inadvertently tipped off by the funniest mother-in-law character I've seen since like mama's family or something. I don't know what she uh, was doing. Yeah. That <laughs> part made me mad too. Like, hello, you're not supposed to tell anyone where we're going. But in 1980 yeah. for a woman that was that yeah. age who grew that's up in true. the, the aughts and through the twenties and everything, yeah. she yeah. don't care. So she, that's you know, true. That's, that's true. That's a different so, time. So, yeah. so the fact that we see that work out and that's his end. And I, don't, I wanted to ask you what you thought about the fact that we don't see him killed on screen. We just see the aftermath. I totally have an idea about that. So all through the movie, we think Llewellyn is basically the main character of the story. We think that. Um, but usually if the main character of a story is killed off, it's done in a really grandiose way. Like mm-hmm. um, the the more you love the character, the more they play a role in the film or whatever, um, the, the more elaborate the death or whatever. And in this, we don't even get to see it. It feels like an injustice kind of. But then what I personally think is there's a shift. Um, I don't think I think actually Llewellyn wasn't the protagonist. I think it's all about Ed Tom. Mm -hmm. And so he becomes really the main focus and the protagonist. I think, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's what I think. You've hit on something there that's exactly right. And Tommy Lee Jones was credited, was nominated for best actor for, for Mm -hmm. this. And the reason is, you know, leading actor, the reason is, is his character is through the point of view that we're watching all this. He's the point of view character in the book. He leads yeah. off the movie with that narration about, you know, he, he's been sheriff there since he was 25. Him and his dad were sheriff in different counties at the same time. They were proud of that. And he always appreciated the old timers. He thought you could learn a yes. lot from that. And he has all these dialogues with his younger deputy and yeah. you know, Wendell and with, you know, different people around town about how like, well, things sure are changing. I don't know if we can deal with this anymore. And you, you see, um, yeah. you see, see the the old man coming to grips with the fact that the world isn't his anymore and he doesn't know what to do with it yeah and we start the film with him talking about you know the old timers and things like that and we also end the film with him talking about the previous generations and the dreams he had and so i really think yeah he is the protagonist and um you can also see it if you go back and think because there's like this juxtaposition between him and Shigur, like so many scenes where they're in the exact same, you know, seat or position or reflected in the TV screen. Um, there's the scene where they Shigur is drinking the milk from the crime scene or the where they, they were in the trailer. And then um, Tommy Lee Jones is drinking the milk. There's so many, you know, similarities that play off of each other and, yeah, you spend most of it thinking, oh, this is a this is a movie about Llewellyn Moss. No, it's really not. It's all about Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, I mean, what, what's neat is he is literally the personification of I'm too old for this shit because yeah. he sees the more he sees of these things and you know, his deputies are like, hey, the DA is going back out to the crime scene. He's like, they're going to find a new body. No, well, I don't think I need to go out there again. Do you? You know, yeah. he's like, no, I saw it once. I don't need to see it again. He's he's yeah. over it. And he's, yeah. 
trying to come to grips with that. And it, it really works itself out when he goes to, he's trying to find Moss and he, he finally finds out where he's going to be at that next hotel down in El Paso. And he pulls up just as the Mexicans are shooting out and killing him. Yeah. And he yeah. talks to that other sheriff in town and they talk about like, oh, I don't know about these kids these days and all the drugs and all this going on. And totally. And, you know, he's sitting there and he even says like, I just, I don't, don't think I understand this world anymore. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah, he is the old man in No Country for Old Men. It's, yeah. He's one of those old men, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. when he goes to see his cousin, Barry, great character actor Barry Corbin, who I love and have seen so many yeah. things. You, you've seen him. Oh, that house. It, yeah, right. Well, yeah, the house of crazy cat man <laughs> oh gosh, or whatever. Yeah. But, but even, yeah. you know, you, you think about that that person and kind of what he represents to Bell is – He's his sounding board. He's his conscious. He was a lawman himself. He retired. And he, he says, I hear you're quitting. Your wife tells me you're quitting. And he finally gets around to owning up to it. He said, I, I'm overmatched against this. And I love what yes. he tells him. He said, we've always been overmatched. He said, since the 1800s, yeah. we were overmatched here. He said, it just it just changes because you can't yeah. change what's coming. No. And and, and they, yeah, yeah, they talk about how, you know, Lawmen used to not even have to carry guns. Yeah, Andy know. Griffith. People respected them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they respected their authority and then he, you know, times are changing. Yeah, and, and people don't. Yeah. And but the thing is is you say that kind of stuff and that's a an internal dialogue audiences have. We still have that today. It's like, ah, oh, these kids these days, you know. Right. And I think yeah. I'm like, yeah, you know, 20 years ago I was those kids and it's, you know, the mm-hmm. the circumstances change, but there's always been violent crime in society. We may always. hear about it more, know about it more. We're more aware of because it. of the media, right? We, we look, <laughs> yeah. we look for it more, right? We, you know, we we've become attuned to it. But don't think that in a small town like that, that everybody at the beauty shop, everybody at the old man coffee club, wasn't talking about. Did you hear about them old boys got shot up out off Route 44? Yes, yeah, terrible. Oh, yeah, you know, everybody's yeah. talking about that because the local paper would have been all over it. It's it's nothing new, is what I'm getting at. But, but it's nothing new. But, no, but, and in fact, it used to be worse in the. Wild right, West, right. Know. And that's a whole thing like the Coens yeah. is they, they infuse a lot of like Old Testament philosophy mm-hmm. and stuff into theirs. And, and if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, Solomon has this whole treatise about like there's nothing new under the sun. And it doesn't mean that there's never any new inventions. It's that people are people and the problems we have are always going to be the same problems. Yes. Greed, yeah. lust, jealousy, crime. We, we're, always we, the same. Yeah. We've yeah. always done those things. Yeah. Always the same in true crime, too. Like every crime, pretty much you can look at money, mm-hmm. you know, love or lust or relationships, domestic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very rarely random. Everybody's problems are the same across the board. And that's the root of all this, you know, stuff that happens like that, all the bad stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's why we get into the trouble we, we get into. And what yeah. the the friend is telling Bill there and what he has to come to realize is that you know, there is no stopping any of this, but there's also an acceptance that comes with it. And he has that dream about his father and he talks about, you know, that he, the fact that he, he was dreaming about his father who he's a lot older than now when his father, he gets the sense his father died when he was younger. And mm-hmm. I've heard my own dad talk about this. His father died. His father was in his late forties and my dad's now in his seventies. And he talks about how, you know, I'm nearly double the age that my dad was when he died. And yeah. so, and he talks much like Bell does at the end. It's like, I have a dream about, you know, my dad is just going out in front of me a little bit and he's built the fire. So I know when I get there, he's just waiting for me. And it's almost like this acceptance of like, I'm old, I'm going to die, 
but it's okay. Yes. You know, and, absolutely. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's the ultimate thing here is everybody sort of accepting their fate. And I know you had notes on fate, so I want I want to yeah. talk about that because I think that that happens right after Carla Jean's scene with Sugar mm-hmm. when he's like, "Call it," and she's like, "No, I, you know, you made up your mind anyway. It doesn't matter what the coin says." Mm-hmm. And, and in the book, this is the biggest difference. In the book, she calls heads and it's wrong, and he kills her. And so oh, that's so okay. she goes through with it okay. in the book. But and I like yeah. actually like this change better because I think it fits the the big metaphor. Yeah, I agree. Once again, it's the coin. It's the whole fate thing. So it was all fate. Like we said before, he told Llewellyn he was going to kill her and he needed to keep his word because that's part of his quote unquote moral or, you know, set of rules he goes by his own messed up rules. He said he was going to do it. He's going to do it. He can't not do it because he said he was going to do it. So the flipping of the coin is like this fate thing again, like the coin came to you and um yeah to to make this decision but she's like no it's not about a coin you're making this decision and you do not have to do this and then he's saying um yeah kind of chuckles he's like everybody says the same thing you don't have to do this you don't have to do this um yeah but in his eyes, he absolutely has to do it. And I like how they kept it open-ended, kind of, how I, they don't show it. I mean, Carla Jean is such a pure, pure, beautiful soul. And it just is so, I mean, I guess it's fitting that she's the last one that he kills, I guess. I don't know. She's just such a sweet lady. And then, like, I like how they kept it open-ended and didn't show it, I guess. And then he's, yeah, coming out of the house wiping his bloody boots we can assume bloody boots but the real thing that i think is a like a like symbolic of fate so nothing nothing could stop anton sugar nothing nobody could stop him not guns not people not law enforcement nothing but the only thing that we see that actually stops him kind of stops him is this fateful car accident that nobody was expecting um he just randomly gets t-boned in an intersection and of all the things to stop him something unplanned and fateful is what did it so i think you know yeah it's all about kind of like the fragility of life i guess and he is banged up in that (laughs) accident and but then but then but then like like um like Jason like um any you know he just gets out puts a sling on it and just walks down the road and keeps on trucking yeah so, i mean th- this yeah. thing is he's still unstoppable but i think it's neat that that accident happens cuz he takes his eyes off the road he sees those boys coming behind him on bicycles and he looks mm-hmm. up in the rear view and he's just staring at them you know, mm-hmm. and you're wondering if he's like, mm, what are they doing? Am I got to do this? Yeah. And that's when he gets hit. And I'm like, see, he's even a victim of the own randomness of life, too. Yeah. And he does everything he can to get out of his own predicament yeah. there. He's like, here's you know, 100 bucks for that shirt. Now, you never saw me. You know, he's saying that to people all yeah. the time. You know, when he kills Stephen Root in the bank, the accountant is sitting there you know, behind him. He's like, are you going to shoot me? And he said, that depends. Do you see me? And yeah. the guy never answers 
so we don't know. But if he's smart, I mean, he's like, no. I think he killed him. <laughs> I think he did, too, because I, I don't think it's what he let Who did he know. not kill? He like, didn't kill the gas station everyone. guy because of the coin That's flow. true. It's the but, one he but didn't kill. Because of his rules yeah. that came into play. Yeah. I, I love his um, scenes with yeah. Woody Harrelson together, though, too, because that's just a side part. Woody Harrelson comes in and does like two days work. But he's mm-hmm. a day trader turned bounty hunter something or whatever, but he's way in over his head. He does go to, to Moss and he tells him, you know, look, you got to tell me where you hid that money, you know, over the, the fence or whatever. Cause if I get yeah. that, I can help you. I can save you. Your wife's going to be dead. You know, and that's when Moss really perks up. He's like, okay. So he gives him his card so he can call him at the hotel later. And when he goes there, of course, Sugar's just coming up right behind him. Oh my gosh. And then, and you see him walking up the stairs and then you see, you know, this person off, off the side to the right. And you think at first I was like, it's a cleaning lady with a mop or something, but God, no, it's him again. <laughs> like he's everywhere at all at once. Yeah. Like he's all knowing. And he, that's the thing. Like he just shows up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he knows everything. There's nothing you can get past him. No, no. And he's right there so behind scary. him and he's got that silent shotgun and I know. he's having that whole discussion in the, and the hotel's like, you know, you can just let me go. We walk away. You can have $2 million. And he's like, yeah, you know, that's not going to happen. He's if you at least admit it, it would be a little more dignity in it. And I, it's like the most lines he gets. And I'm like, yeah, wow, this guy is really insane. And, and Harrelson's totally. the one that has said so many times, like, you do not realize what a psycho this person is. And he even mm-hmm. asked me, like, do you realize how crazy you really are? And I love the look on Sugar's face is like, Emma? I don't know, Emma? Like just you yeah. know, it's like he's confused yeah, yeah. by it. Yeah. He like he like got him for a second. Yeah. He's sitting there doing this and the phone starts to ring and Sugar knows like that's probably Moss calling you. So he just pulls the trigger. You know, and you know, we see Woody Harrelson get shot, but we also don't see it. It's sort of off screen. Like he just mm-hmm. falls over in the chair and then Sugar, you know, quietly puts the gun down. Phone's just ringing. And he's going to pull mm-hmm. it over. I'm going to get it set. That was so annoying right. to me. Like, pick like, the damn phone up, Just man. pick it up, man. <laughs> yeah. When he speaks up, yeah. and I love that conversation. He's like, you know who this is. And I love what Moss says back to him. He's like, yeah, well, you ain't got to look for me. I'm coming for you. I'm going to make you my special project. You know? And oh, I, like, I love that, too. Yeah, I was like, yes, Ew. you go. Like, you, I know. And, and like, you, I'm not afraid of you. You kind of wonder, yeah. like, if he had been able to slip the Mexicans that were on his trail, if they had gotten back together, could he have taken him out? You know, because oh, he got close. That, he got mighty close at one time. So close in that street fight. And then I was like, why is there nobody calling 911? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's right in small town USA on Main Street. Mm-hmm. This gunfight happening. It's in the middle happening. of the night like, and nobody's up. I know. Because decent people ain't like, up at the hour of the night. Wouldn't they be hearing this? Like, you would think. There, there was a car accident and then all these guns. You would think. Um, but uh, yeah. apparently not. I had a question, though. Do you think that Shiger just didn't believe Woody Harrelson's character that he knew where the money was? Do you think he just thought, oh, this guy's full of shit? Oh, no, I think he he totally believed him because he goes and looks for it. He goes and looks for it afterward because that, you know, he's like, okay, now I know where the money is, so I don't need you anymore. His mo was i'm just gonna find out what i need to know from him and then i'm gonna kill this guy because we've crossed paths before and he lived and you don't get to see me and live and i think yeah, yeah he was like yeah i believe you and he was just gonna let him prattle alone and and try to let him go like at least be decent about it and realize you're about to get shot and when he yeah. did he's like okay fine then and he just killed him I hate that. It's cold. Um, it's so cold. So cool. And then that's the scene also where he the, the blood boots. is coming. Yeah. That's a really epic mm-hmm. scene right there. And 
he just nonchalantly puts his feet on the bed not to get messy yeah. he was big about like not getting his feet messy because right. i guess that's a hazard of the job right. you know and we, you we didn't even wanna, talk yeah. about after the the fight he has with moss when he goes and he blows up the car in front of the pharmacy so that everybody will leave oh. the pharmacy so he can rip it off for all the stuff he needs and he's you know washing yeah. his leg off in the bathtub and pouring all that chemical on it and, and he's ne- Does, yeah. never moves never flinches and Doesn't, i'm like this doesn't is, bad an eyelash. No, nope. yeah, I was like, this Mm-mm. is the Terminator cutting his eye out. I mean, it's yeah. the same thing. Oh yeah. Well, even just um, the process of putting the the flame in the gas tank and the yeah. the cloth in the gas tank and like just walks in the store, never even like startles or anything when uh, when the explosion happens. He's just so just cold. Yeah, methodical. Yeah. I mean, that's that's yes, the word. Yes. And, and that's the thing yeah. about this movie is how. It can be so methodical and it's two hours long, but it never feels like anything is slow, even though it's an incredibly slow movie, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. It goes very fast. Yeah. It really goes down easy. And I I attribute a lot of that to the plot is pretty simple. You know what's happening and they don't need to tell you a lot. And then again, you have all these great scenes. And just the use of the quiet and the silence and all, oh, it's yeah. just, it's unnerving is what it is. And you know, the other thing I, I thought about Sugar when I was watching this, I grew up watching a lot of westerns and particularly mm-hmm. like the good, the bad and the ugly and Lee Van Cleef's mm-hmm. character in that. Um, movie Angel Eyes is the same way as Sugar. He's always oh, wearing really? black, okay. and I mean, he's always oh. going and bounty hunting people, and they try to buy him off once they yeah. they realize what's going on. And he said, "But when I get paid for a job, I always finish it." And he shoots people. He just guns them down. And I'm like, oh. the, the Coens are borrowing from this, whether they'll ever admit to it or not. That movie had a lot to do with the way big this influence guy was on it. And I think yeah. Cormac yeah. McCarthy probably borrowed some of that too. The Shakur's a little different in the book, not not so different than like it's noticeable but i think the yeah. way that the that he's dressed the way he looks and everything it owes a lot to that angelized character from you know all yeah. those movies years ago yeah yeah definitely i don't i'm not familiar with that one but my dad used to watch old westerns all the yeah. time so but i kind of tuned him out but this is more like a western noir yeah it's, film, it's neo-noir yeah. western i mean yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. true crime horror western is what this thing yeah. is and yes what's what's neat is you watch the rampages that sugar goes on to get to where he wants to go and you realize that he gets what he wants and that's what i want to ask you about this movie that's so I mean, it seems so bleak in some ways. It's that mm-hmm. the bad guys win. He gets the money back. And what you realize is that he was supposed to retrieve that for the bank, but he kind of runs off with it himself. And yeah. Yeah. And th- that's a great thing to think about. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what, what is he going to do with this money? Right. Like, is he going to go sit on a beach, get a girlfriend and drink pina coladas? I don't think so. No, that doesn't <laughs> seem to be his thing. No, but I, I really. I would love to know more about this character. Like maybe there's some fan fiction I could read or something like that about Anton Chigurh because Mm -hmm. I mean, he's so interesting, but so simple all at the same time, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I want to know, I want to know where he walked to after that limping with the splint on his arm. Like, I want to know where he went. I want to know what happened after that. I have a theory and I can't prove this other than just from what I saw in the movie. Oh gosh. The fact that he kills his handler. In this, yeah. and he kills him because he's mad because he brought all these other people involved in in the bounty hunting. But he, I think he looks at this as kind of a way out too. Like, you know what? 
with $2 million in 1980, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of money. He's like, yeah. I can just disappear and not have to work for anybody anymore. I don't have to be anybody's yeah. tool anymore. And I yeah. kind of think Shiger's whole thing is like, I'm going to do this and I'm taking that money and I'm gone. And he's like, I really want to retire yeah, like, in the Hamptons. You're watching three <laughs> people, three men in this movie who all have the same goal. They want to retire right. peacefully. Oh, Bell oh wants to retire. Moss wants to retire in style with his wife. Cause he t- even says, like, you're retired from Walmart now, baby. Wow. And then Sugar wants to retire from being the Terminator. What a great point. I did not get that when I was watching it, but oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yes. And, um, yeah, the, the ones who want the money for themselves to spend end up really banged up or dead. Mm-hmm. And then the, Sheriff um, Tommy Lee Jones doesn't want the money. He just wants to end all this craziness and he ends up being able to retire and forget about it, all of it, I guess. Yeah. Right. I mean, because you can assume he's done something with the money to take it away from that satchel in between the time that mm-hmm. he kills Woody Harrelson, he retrieves it from the Rio Grande, and then Carla Jean's mom has died a few weeks later and she's, you know, at the funeral there and. You know, it's back at her mom's house, and that's when he goes to kill her because he's got to close the loop. And this yeah. is it. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just yep. I thought that was so neat. And I, again, that idea had never occurred to me until I watched it that's for amazing. this review. And I thought, yeah. all of these men want the same thing. They just want to retire. <laughs> and don't we all want that, right. really? We kind of all want the same thing, so we can all kind of identify But how that. screwed up is it that, like, death gets to retire and the rest of us just get to die? But here's the thing. Okay. Yes, he was a hitman. He was the best hitman ever. But was he also maybe a little bit of a serial killer at the oh, same yeah. time? He's a total psychopath. So, yeah. Right. So is he going to retire from killing or is he just going to retire from the hitman? He's going to retire from working for other people is what I, yeah. I'm, I'm saying is that he's taking that money and now he's his own boss. He can do yeah. what he wants. And if he's got to kill people along the way, he'll do what he wants. But he's not at the behest of anybody else anymore. True. You think you'll keep killing for fun? You wonder, you know, that kind of guy, though, like the fact that he survived that car wreck, I'm like, he's the kind of serial killer that would just die in a random accident. Like, an, you know, an icicle would fall on him and you know, go right oh, through his head yeah. or some random yeah. shit like that. Because you cannot run away from fate. Right. You can't, And you can't yeah. run away from what's coming. And that's the nope. theme of this movie. And I'm like, even for him, totally. he's walking away, but... It's coming for him, too, eventually. I mean, he's not so easy on his body. He's, no. He, he's got some stuff going on that's going to shorten his life a little. Yeah, and that's why the one that Bell, uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character, is the only one, I think, that ends this movie where he wants to be, but in peace. You know, yeah. Moss never got to where he wanted to be. He got cut down in his prime. Shigur mm-hmm. is still limping away. He's got what he wants, but he, he knows it's coming for him. Bell's the only one that's like, I, I know death's coming, but that's okay because my dad's gone on before me and he's going to be there when mm-hmm. I get there. And it, it's going to yeah. be all right for me. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I. But is he okay, though? I feel like there's some sense of just sadness and anxiety, though, in, in that when he's talking to his wife about the dream, I just feel like he's like, I don't know if he is totally at peace. I feel like there's I'll, something on his mind. I interpret it as he's at peace because of the way he says it to her. And he just yeah. deadpans the, and then I woke up. 
Yeah, that's you know, true. And, it's just, and then it goes to black. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and like, you, that's all there you is. You realize yeah. that his father is the most important figure in his life because he starts out yeah. talking about him in the opening yeah. narration. And the fact that he's having dreams about his father going before him and it's going to be all right. I got the fire yeah. ready for you, son, when you get here. If if yeah. that's in his own head, you know, God telling him it's going to be fine or whatever he needs to figure that out. Mm-hmm. That he's made peace with that, and the way he just kind of looks yeah. at his wife's like, no, well, good, you know, just like, all right, yeah. That I think, I think, I think he's yeah. glad to not have to put that shield on anymore, go do that anymore. He can just fiddle around the house or whatever. Yeah, I think he, I in my head, I think he's got some maybe like PTSD oh, and some yeah. unanswered questions from everything he just went through, and um, but yeah, I could see that he's ready for. For what's next. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Kelly, we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours okay. for No Country for Old Men? Oh, man. So after watching it again all these years later, I'm definitely at an extra large with butter and with maybe some of those ranch sprinkles you put on top. I love those. So I'm, I'm going to say it, I'm all in on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, I'm with you. This is definitely extra large popcorn territory. It's a modern classic. And if you if you've seen it once and you're like, okay, I got it, I don't need to go back to it, you owe yourself to revisit oh, yeah. this once every couple of years. It's not one to watch yeah. all the time, but throw it on in a nice quiet evening. You know, I watched it well, I happened to be home alone and was able just to sort of let it absorb and wash over me. And again, it goes down easy and mm-hmm. totally worth it. And you know, ranking Coen Brothers films is kind of hard to do. It's like ranking Kubrick films in a lot of ways, but this is definitely one of their best efforts and I agree. it's a fantastic film. So yeah, extra large for me too. I'm going to try this uh, ranch sprinkle business. I hadn't oh, heard about yeah, that. It's so. like powder, you know, you just sprinkle it on little flavoring. Yeah, it's very good. I'm going to have to try <laughs> that. Well, Kelly, once again, thanks for being a part of the show. Tell folks Thank all you. about True Crime IRL and all yeah, the cool stuff you're yeah. doing. So, yeah, you can find True Crime IRL on all the platforms, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get a podcast. Um, True Crime IRL, all one word. Be sure to follow me on Instagram. I'm really active there. True Crime IRL. Um, I'm on all the social media at True Crime IRL. And yeah, lots of good stuff coming up. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. I had fun. Yeah, been an absolute <laughs> blast. And I'll, I'll co-sign True Crime IRL. Totally worth your time. Great podcast. All and right. Kelly interjects a lot of humor <laughs> in between a lot of real heinous stories. And that makes it... I try. <laughs> that, that makes it go down easy. So do recommend that as well. Folks, you can follow this show's social media at Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find announcements about upcoming shows and a link to our Letterbox page, which has our entire list of reviews, all 300 plus episodes through these years. Go to filmstrippodcast.com. That links to our anchor.fm distribution site. And we're on all your podcast platforms, you know, Apple, Spotify, Google. Share the show. And if you can, leave us a positive review. It helps other people find the show. We appreciate the support. So for Kelly, I'm Jay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.